You're listening to a classic business podcast as heard on Classic 1027. 1027. Well, we saw world shares were pretty much range-bound and trading just off record highs as we start the new week, uh, digesting Friday's disappointing U.S. jobs report and a global tax deal between the G7 group of countries while also looking ahead to inflation data due this week. Looking at the oil share, we ended down around a third of a percent at 67,575 points. The Rand enjoying another fairly strong day, 13 Rand 51. And uh, most uh, sectors uh, pretty much uh, having one of those lackluster starts to the week. Uh, even uh, the, the property index, which has been uh, tended to outperform lately, was only up half a percent. Looking across my screen at the moment, uh, gold currently at $1,893 an ounce. And Brent crude coming off those highs at $71.42 a barrel on a day when we also saw, speaking of Brent crude and uh, dirty old fossil fuels, the listing of uh, a coal asset that shows investors don't want anything to do with coal assets with a very long barge pole. Makwe Masilela, CIO of Makwe Fund Managers and MTR Suleiman, Executive Director, Portfolio Manager of Centio Capital, have your market view. Makwe, what stood out for you today uh, with some pretty thin volumes traded, I think 14 billion rand on the local exchange. Yeah, good afternoon to you and to the listeners. Yes, by all means, you know, and yes, stocks have been subdued, you know, especially in recent session. And I think it's a question of as investors who are continuing to assess a range of factors, you know, the economic outlook, your supply chain problems, your high valuation for stocks, but inflation expectation, if you see, have eased, you know, in recent days, investors anyway still remain on edge for any signs, you know, and we're looking forward to the U.S. inflation that is coming later in the week. And what is it that the bank will do, you know, on this easy money policies that have supported the rally in recent equities? For me, it's more a question of investors are trying to strike a balance Mm. between preparing for possible higher interest rates and also trying to write this risk on the trade, which is underpinned by this U.S. uh, $4 or so spending that is expected and obviously the news that came out of the g7 as well and i don't think there's been much reaction to that or maybe the immediate market implic- uh, what you call it implication is going to be minimal because it still has to be discussed it still has to go through the g20 and we know other countries might not like it i mean just look at ireland i mean currently their tax rate is sitting at 12.5 percent I think that's a very important point. That G7 tax story, MTRs, to bring you in on that, is fascinating. If you look at the detail, as Markwe points out, still uh, a lot uh, of water to flow under the bridge before it becomes a reality, uh, T's to cross and I's to dot and that kind of thing. But you look at the likes of the big tech companies, Amazon, welcoming a global minimum tax rate of 15%. Why do you think that is? Do, do you think for them it creates a further barrier to entry for competitors? Yeah, good evening, Michael. I think, you know, if you look at Amazon specifically, they're well established in, in their sort of segment. Um, and they have built up a formidable business over a number of years. Any new entrant coming in won't have the luxury of the lower tax rates that Amazon has. But ironically, if you look at Amazon in particular at this current point, it's, it's paying a tax rate of around 6.5%. So they'll also suffer in, in, in the process. 
but it does raise the bar for any potential new competitors that, that might come into their space. It, it certainly does. And if you look at it, uh, Mark, as, as you mentioned, uh, the market's still digesting this, but if a falling effective corporate tax rate has led to a decline generally in the U.S. from around 31% to 13% currently. That accounts for over 30% of U.S. corporate profit growth since the turn of the century. So if that's taken off the table, companies are going to have to increasingly rely on margin expansion and revenue growth just to maintain the, the recent pace of profit growth that we've seen. I can't see where, where that kind of margin expansion or revenue growth uh, might be coming from. So if we do do start to see a deal become uh, more of a certainty, this will likely um, dampen the valuations that we've seen on the S&P 500. Definitely, it will do that, you know, and it's expected. And I think we start to start factoring that in the minute we start seeing that it's becoming a reality. And as you said, you know, uh, it's not just going to be only those countries that might benefit because even other countries might be able, those companies as it is, be able to pay more taxes in those other countries. But also what's concerning, I think, or it's going to be a hazard, if they're calling this the leveling of the play field, and then they say we need to compete on education, Education, research and development and infrastructure, those other countries, the G7s of this world, when it comes to that, they are miles ahead of other countries. So even now on that other end, the level field is not like level because look at ourselves, our infrastructure, research and development, you know, we're still far, far behind. And they think that leveling the pay field is to make sure that people don't move, you know, their tax base to countries where they'll be paying less tax. So I see a lot of hurting. I mean, the likes of Switzerland as well. That's another country which is going to be picking up to make sure that at least they continue to benefit out of that. And traders uh, will certainly be marking their diaries for Thursday's US CPI number for May. And it's shaping up as one of the most watched data prints for some time after we saw consumer prices jumping by the most in nearly 12 years last, uh, well, in April, month before last. And uh, the, the debate really rages on, doesn't it, uh, MTS, as, as to whether or not a pickup in prices is transitory. Where, where do you sit on this uh, on this spectrum here between uh, Larry um, Fink, who seems to think think we're in for a big, big shock, and Jay Powell, who says, really, there's nothing to see here. Yeah, I think, um, you know, what we are expecting uh, coming out of Thursday is that the expectations are for a number of 4.7%, which would be the highest since 2008 in the U.S. So I think the big scare for the U.S. inflation number was in April. This is pretty much consensus that we're going to be well above the 2% um, level that um, the U.S. is targeting longer term. And the big question, as you mentioned, is whether this is transitory or is a higher level of inflation. I think on balance, this this sort of uh, level that we're seeing will settle down. There are some bottlenecks that will open up as the economy opens up. For example, uh, workers going back um, to the office um, and going back to work. Um, as the vaccines roll out, there's, there's been a, a supply shortage of labor in the U.S. Um, the other factor is higher oil prices and higher food prices. But we've seen a big reversal or a big drawdown last year when we had the closures over due to the pandemic. So the base has been quite distorted from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, just in general, we should see um, the spent-up demand from all of the stimulus and fiscal policies 
um, sort of leveling off. And I think that will also provide some relief to the inflation number overall. So it's just whether we settle down uh, above 2%, uh, but how quickly does inflation get to that 2% level and from yeah. the high base? That's the big question. Yeah, and I follow uh, Branko Milanovic, uh, a really exceptional macroeconomist on Twitter, and there was a great chart that he tweeted looking at the UN world food price year on year. The last time that global food price inflation was running as hot as it, we are seeing it right now was back in 2011. Mark, that set the scene for the Arab Spring. Definitely it did, and because we know basically it means the cost of living is going up, you know. Just look what happened now, just looking at the recent numbers that we just got out of China. I mean, if you look what happened to their uh, imports, they grew at their best pace in 10 years in May. Why? Because of this aging demand for raw materials. And yes, in this environment where you get the economy not growing, supposed the way supposed to, the jobs not being created the way they're supposed to. You just mentioned the U.S. Uh, numbers on Friday, which were disappointing, showing that employment is still an issue globally, and now you have rising costs. Then people are saying, you know what, we cannot afford our own living. Then what do you do? Then it has to start revolting, so it made sense. So I'm saying it's not going to happen, but the chances are it gives people a reason to say, Ordinary people here we are, our cost of living keeps on going up and up, and the elites and decision makers are able to cope with all that. So it gives people a reason to raise serious concerns. Absolutely. And we, and we see that on the back of uh, this rising popular discontent that we saw prior to COVID, and I think that has been slowly simmering under the surface uh, in uh, the wake of the various lockdown measures that governments have instituted around the world. I'd be, um, I'm just saying that it be um, churlish to ignore some of those pressures that are building up uh, under the surface. MTS, some Gela resources. Tell me a little bit more about what's going on here, because if you you look, this this is the the coal business that was spun out of Anglo American, valued at where we are currently at around 3.4 billion rand. That's 253 million dollars. That is a third of its uh, expected EBITDA for this year alone, with a 30% payout ratio. And last yeah. time I checked, we actually do need coal until at least 2050. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right, Michael. But, uh, you know, coal has almost become a swear word in, in the life of the ESG investing world. And if you look at Anglo shareholding, from a shareholding perspective, 70% of Anglo-American shareholders are offshore investors. And there's much more pressure from those investors to divest of so-called dirty assets, um, sort of carbon polluters. And Jungela falls squarely in that box. So there was some pressure on the share price today. The big question is where does this settle? They do have a cash injection from Anglo-American to settle some of the liabilities that they potentially face on mine closures going forward. But, you know, the, the, the coal price is currently at elevated levels. It should come down from these levels, which would put further pressure on the profitability of the company. So I think on balance, you know, the, it, it's going to become a high-yielding story rather than a growth story, um, simply because of the ESG pressures and the lack of investment into any new um, coal assets and also power stations. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. ironically or interestingly, uh, the UK closed the, the, la- uh, the second last coal-fired power station today, and the last one is set to close uh, next year.
So there's a big move out of coal into mm. renewable energy. Mm, I, yeah, I understood that, uh, but uh, I certainly don't see the world just switching off coal in the next I decade or, or, or two. And so the question is, can you assuage your conscience, even if you are firmly behind the ESG theme, with uh, dividends for the next 10 years at least? I certainly know where I sit uh, on that particular spectrum. And then just, uh, Makwe, lastly, you've got 30 seconds. First round, voluntary trading update just continues this theme of uh, the bank emerging a lot stronger than we had hoped for from the pandemic. Definitely, and if there's anything to read out of that, it shows that the consumers are not doing too badly because look, they improved. They are they expect headline earnings per share to go up by 35 percent. You look at the fewer missed loan repayments than anticipated, so the consumer is not doing that badly, you know. And their net interest income is taking almost a similar level to the first half because of the fee commissions, the income thereof, and also they managed to reduce the areas where the non-performing loans formation has continued in a trending but it's lower than expected as well so not too bad yeah, not too bad, uh, and uh, along with Standard Bank and ABSA, certainly much better than the market uh, was hoping for. Makwe Masilela, CIO of Makwe Fund Managers, and MTR Suleiman, Portfolio Manager at Sentio Capital, with your Monday View.